So welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, reviews and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we're going to be looking at the Arian Foster injury and following on from that, uh, the Ryan Mallet debacle that's going on down in uh, the Houston Texans. We're going to have a quick look at the uh, Lions OC being fired and the new coaching this is, uh, new coaching staff that are going to be down there. And we're going to have a brief look at uh, Yahoo's first online telecast of an NFL game and how that went. We're going to look at some of the games from last week, some good, some bad. We're going to take some questions from our listeners, and then we're going to look forward to the games for next week. So, guys, how are we getting on? Uh, this week, we're back to uh, we're back to our original uh, lineup. Obviously, San San Ian. We've got uh, Harry here. Hey, Harry. Hey, how you doing? And we've got Dave. Hey, how's it going? So, our Browns fan has finally returned from the wilderness, and what he has learned is nothing because he still supports the brand just came back just in time for Cleveland to lose <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah so guys we're gonna have a look at a couple of the couple of the stories from around the NFL this week first we're probably gonna kick off uh, it's a bit of deja vu from a way back at the start uh, Arian Foster is injured and possibly out for the season in fact now definitely out for the season but does this have a massive impact on the future of the Texans given that they are the greatest shitstorm on turf Yes and no. Yes, in the to the extent that while Foster was not perhaps playing well, he was the only thing even decent on that, with the perhaps exception of DeAndre Hopkins, who's dependent on the quarterbacks. Foster was really the only thing that was getting anything going for Houston, even while they were struggling. He's also it's also, I think, a bit of a crushing one for that offense to lose sort of a, a, a kind of talismanic player and a guy who can make things happen in a way that other people on that team just can't. Is it going to affect how they do in the season? No, probably not, because even with Foster they were losing games badly and generally struggling to move the ball down the field and teams were homing in on, homing in on Foster. But um, while it's not going to really impact their thing, they might, you know, drop a game or two they wouldn't have otherwise. They're still going to be nowhere near the playoffs. We knew that for a while. But losing Foster is, you know, it does, it does have an effect on the offense and it doesn't, certainly doesn't help them. What I'd be more uh, worried about him, rather than Houston, who are kind of in the middle of a lost season, is Foster himself. Is he actually going to be able to come back from this? He's over, th- he's over 30 now. Uh, this is a second severe injury this season. He's had space a space of a couple of weeks. Exactly, yeah. yeah just co- coming coming back off that groin tear, and he's also had quite an extensive history of fairly serious injuries. So you do wonder, you know, is is he going to be able to come back? What condition is he going to come back in? If he does, will Houston keep him? And if they don't, will somebody else? Old battered down running back has a season of his life. I guess he's playing for you guys next year at the Pats. Uh, so, Dave, what do you reckon yourself? Is this a scenario where Houston are going to look at this and say this is a lost season? Colossus piece, sure, look, we'll roll with with Alfred Blue and whatever collection failed to do anything for the first couple of weeks. Or is this something where they're going to have to try and make a move before maybe the trade uh, window shuts up? I think that, I think this is the last season. Apparently, though, they're not getting rid of Bill O'Brien. They're going to be a high pick. I think they're going to have to look at getting a QB. So I don't know what the Texans are going to do. There's not a huge amount of free agent running backs floating around. Maybe they'll have to trade for somebody, but I don't know who they would be on the block. Wasn't Matt Forte supposed to be a tradable? He is, but my, my concern, that would be the idea of, like, given that it's a lost season and there's only one year left in Forte's contract, would that be, like, I think that's probably a little bit higher than they'd have they, they, they'd be willing to pitch at, I think, at the moment. Yeah. But, also, uh, they know to throw it to him, really. Coyer's not great against running backs. But, yeah, so unfortunately, poor Arian Foster out for the year. Our wishes go out to him and his family, and hopefully he might be able to find something uh, next year. Uh, to continue on the misery in Houston, <laughs> they get they get three shots of misery in this in this week's show. We got an interesting uh, bit of information that apparently purchasing an alarm clock wasn't enough for Ryan Mallet, and he still wasn't able to arrive on time to team events. In this case, it was trying to get on time to get to the airport to fly to their game in Miami this year, and the poor fella had to go and fly commercial. What do we reckon, Harry? Is this hubris of a not-so-young quarterback, or is this just someone giving up on their team? 
Uh, I can't see how it could possibly be hubris after you've been benched for Brian Hoyer. And, of course, Mallet has now been cut and no longer has a team to, team to play for, which, you know, if I was playing for Houston, wouldn't necessarily be the worst outcome in the world. <laughs> I think it's, it, you know, it's fairly inconsequential in terms of Mallet's career. And, I mean, sorry, rather, Mallet is kind of inconsequential. You know, he was a long-term backup in New England, yeah. uh, came over to, to Houston to do a thing, failed at it, whatever, they'll move on. It's interesting now, though, that Houston, who, of course, traded out of a spot first round in the, in the uh, in last year's draft, I think could possibly have been looking to take Teddy Bridgewater towards the tail end of the first round, decided yeah. not to, uh, was a bit of a bit of a mistake there, uh, especially since Hoyer is now the only active quarterback on the roster because Savage has moved to IR earlier in the season. I mean, now Savage isn't great, but, you know, you need, <laughs> you need a backup. So we're going to obviously see them sign somebody. I'm not really sure who's out there. Maybe Matt Flynn is still knocking around. In fact, to be honest, at this stage, Matt Flynn Probably, might not yeah. be the worst move in the world to, for Houston. What I really want to see them do is trade for Matt Schaub. Bring him back home. Absolutely. <laughs> good God, good job. Good Dave Carroll. So this is, I suppose, this is the question. Now, obviously, Dave, from, 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 from insider sources, apparently they, the coach, Bill O'Brien, was looking to cut him on the Saturday when he missed the uh, when he missed the flight and was informed by the GM he was not allowed to do so. Uh, presumably just because in the space of six hours, it's, fi- it's hard to find someone to be a backup quarterback in case Hoyer the Destroyer gets destroyed. What, what, what is the next step? Is it going to be a Matt Flynn type person? Is there someone knocking around who's a project, maybe? It doesn't seem like there's a huge amount of value left to keeping Hoyer in the system and just trying to, trying, to, trying to see it out. It might be time to test out some new guys. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, well, I don't know. They might have to pick up someone who's from a practice squad or something. It's all very poor, like, planning. Like, they, they definitely should have had three QBs on their roster in the first place. And then to have one... Is unforgivable. Yeah, it's not a great scenario. No. But we, what we've heard, uh, I think I was discussing with Dave earlier from a couple of sources, Rick Smith, the GM, is actually one of the main focuses for the problems here and not Bill O'Brien, which was surprising to me because it seems like the team is awful as well. But uh, apparently a lot of the locker room just doesn't like playing for him. Like, I would presume that if that's the case, that would harm them in trying to attract free agents to come in as well. But uh, I suppose the one plus we can say for, for uh, Houston is they're, they're almost certainly got an idea of who's going to be playing for them next. It's going to be one of those couple of top few quarterbacks sitting in the draft at the moment. Uh, there's Cooks and there's a few other ones as well. Hackenberg's knocking around the and there's well, also too. there's also a chap called Lynch, if I remember correctly, as well. Regardless of what they do uh, in this lost season, there'll be a new quarterback standing under centre, and hopefully they might get a get a better run of it than uh, than this group had so far. Into some more kind of slightly sad news, the Lions have decided uh, to fire their offensive coordinator and their offensive line coach and replace them with the QB coach now. Moving into the game, now, it seems like a bad idea on a short week with a lot of travel like that to be upending your coaching staff as much. Uh, I don't know. It could be an interesting move given that they haven't really performed particularly well this season like do you think this is a fair move Dave or is this is this a scenario of just we need to find someone culpable and we'll throw these guys under the bus you're on a slide that hard I think you gotta do something and like Matt Stafford has looked really incompetent like cuddable at some point like, <laughs> they did get benched uh, yeah, in the middle of a game for Dan Orlovsky yeah for Dan yeah. Orlovsky like they can't get it to Megatron. They can't seem to be able to get anything going. I can see why he's gone. I can see why he's gone. Replacing with the QB coach, though, unusual decision because again, Matt Stafford has looked awful. Yeah, it has so. not. It's not been a good showing from him so far. So if the QB coach's track record that's getting him this job is how well Matt Stafford has been trained up this season, it doesn't bode too well for them. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty pretty much it on the on the nose. I mean, I, I got the Dan Campbell thing horribly horribly wrong in a previous podcast, so maybe they know what they're doing and I, and I don't. 
but I'm not convinced for exactly what Dave says. I think a lot of the problems with the offense this year do come back to Matt Stafford. There's definitely an element of, look, you've got to try something uh, after the defeat they suffered this week, in particular, where they ran out to a lead against a Minnesota Vikings team that offensively had not looked that good. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater had far and away his best game of the season. Now, with that said, that was also indicative of the fact that problems perhaps go beyond just the offense. The Lions, who have a reasonably good secondary, quite good linebackers. Yes, they're they're worse than last year. They're still missing a few guys through injury, but shouldn't be that bad have been that poor on both sides of the ball. So I don't know if this is going to necessarily fix all their problems. There could be something about the QB coach that we don't know that it could be a similar situation to Campbell again, where it's the guy who the team trusts, the guy the team will listen to. Caldwell, presumably trying to save himself at this point, yeah. not anything else I write. Throw, yeah, throw somebody else under the bus, get somebody else in there. Or so I'd be quite similar. There's one, there's one plus that I do see, like there's a potential upside to this, which is if the coaching style and the intentions of the QB coach and the offensive coordinator are so divergent, they think this will be a difference in the way that they're building their offense. I think obviously that means the QB will probably be happier in the system. And I also think that if it means a change in the offensive line, it can also mean that they'll be able to move to an offensive line blocking scheme that's more in keeping what the quarterback is trying to get out of the personnel that are there. So there is a chance of it being a more cohesive approach to coaching that offense but as I said from what we've seen so far just because he's the QB coach and the QB hasn't been playing particularly well I do worry there is sir there's one other thing I want to add and this is I think this is interesting we could see a positive happen this week that will be credited to this change that won't be entirely to, but they've got Droid Bell back and if he's up to speed this week that can give the, let the Lions do something they haven't been able to do with their current stable of running backs control tempo of the game a bit better pound the ball manage the clock, manage leads where they have them. We've seen them throw away two leads well against San Diego in oh, the first yeah. week of the season. A lot, a lot of the good that came from them last year is throwing pretty much any time you've got that personnel being able to throw the ball deep to Megatron and let them go up to get it. One of the ways you're able to get that type of time in the pocket and that type of distance down the field is by effectively running play action. And whenever you don't have a viable run game, your play action gets shut down. So if that does get happening, I can see play action passes playing a big factor in next week's game. Uh, the NFL tried something new this week with the London game. Uh, they decided to broadcast it online on Yahoo for free, I believe, to see what that would make viewing numbers and to see whether or not they should be moving to a less cable and television-based delivery system for football games into more of an online one. The figures that came out following this were that there was over 15 million viewers, which meant that it was having a higher viewer ratings than, uh, than the average Monday night football game does, which is very, very uh, convincing on the face of it. But uh, Harry was telling us earlier, I'll ask Harry to explain it now, that uh, those numbers might not tell the whole story. Yeah, CFL were actually, by the end of it, reclaiming 33.6 million people viewed the game. Uh, I can't necessarily have to try to put the average NFL game, get somewhere between 10 to 20 million viewers, mm-hmm. generally speaking. So 15 million would be more than expectations for just standard who's going to watch a game. 33.6 would be incredibly good. The problem with these figures is, and there's a reason there's no real way to know how, you know how many people are watching it, is that Yahoo put that game absolutely everywhere. So anyone who has used it, who uses Yahoo as a search engine, anyone who uses Yahoo's mail products, uh, Yahoo News, was getting a hit on that. And that was being counted as as a view. There's a huge amount of 55-year-olds who haven't upgraded their email address that count in the viewing <laughs> figures. Exactly. And as much as you know, oh, Yahoo, it's, it's lost technology. A lot of people do still use Yahoo. It's difficult to know if the audience is better than a regular season game. Caveat to my, to my caveat, which is it would be interesting to see how the early morning games in general do, when because particularly on, on the yeah. West Coast, your viewing number is going to be very, very low just because of the time, the time difference. Yeah. But I think it's very, very difficult to tell me anything from this. And Yahoo and the NFL are obviously proclaiming this to be a great success. But I'd be very surprised if we see games that are in good slots move more into this thing. I think it's shown that it can work when you have games that are on odd times. Yeah. 
but those figures do not reflect anything superior to a TV audience, particularly, particularly since so many of those hits would like to be brief, that the advertisers wouldn't get yeah, yeah. anything seen, so they would be less happy putting money behind something like that. No, of course. And like, I suppose one of, one of the questions I always have is what exactly is the, is the benefit of this over pushing their own online subscription service, their, their Game Pass, whatever it's called? What do you reckon? Do you think there's a future in this type of free to air, Dave? Or, uh, well, obviously, I suppose free to air, everyone would like a bit more of that. But like, do you think this is indicative of them looking to genuinely move away from, from cable subscription, direct television, stuff like that? Or is it just them trying to see, is there an untapped audience that they can get extra funding from? Yeah, I think it's probably the latter. Honestly, I think in the long term, NFL Network is going to be the way to go. I think if you look at how other sports organizations are going, it's increasingly moving towards a subscription-based service. The Premier League has one now, and WWE have one, and they seem to generate a large number of their income from monthly-based subscriptions. So I think that's probably the way the NFL is going to go. The free-to-air thing, I think, could work if it gains a lot of sponsorship, and obviously who you know, paid a bit to get, or you know, gave some kind of, Kind of got some, the NFL obviously got some kind of benefit out of the partnership. Of course, yeah. yeah. There's, there, there, it, it could easily be that because live sports is the biggest draw now, like it's the only thing keeping television alive. So if live sports starts to increasingly migrate, I could see websites buying it just to drive traffic. Yeah, for people like Yahoo, have a large amount of cash, but not necessarily a large amount of user base. There is like the potential. It's really interesting you said. I'm just told this now that this is the NFL trying to create a bargaining chip with the TV networks. If they're oh, yeah. reliant on this, it's like give us pay more for the rights, and we won't farm it out to streaming sites. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, so yeah, what seemed like a really nice thing for the fans to be able to see a game turns out it's a horrible corporate overlord trying to steal your money and leverage their position for more power. God damn you, capitalism! All right, so we'll move on to the uh, to the games from uh, from last week. Uh, we've got five games we're going to have a look at this week. Uh, we've got two good, one middling, and one or two very very poor games. And to be honest, I'm questioning about the one in the middle because I think at least half of that game was dog shit. We're going to start on some of the good games. We're going to have a look at uh, one that's very close to Harry's heart. Uh, the New York Jets took on New England at home. Or sorry, New England were at home. Uh, it finished 23-30 in a very exciting finish that involved a successful onside kick and an absolute fuck-up. Uh, so, Harry, what did you make of this game? Were you happy with your performance? Did you actually feel worried at any time or... I have to say that was the most Jets way to end a game. Rex Ryan might be gone, but the spirit of the Jets still lives on in like <laughs> getting the onside kick and then passing over the middle with no timeouts and then blowing it on a, on a, on a stupid formation penalty. Similar to the Indianapolis game, even when it was close and when we were behind, it felt like we were still in control of the game. What the Jets did well was what we knew they were going to do well, particularly early in the game, was a lot of uh, heavy fronts, a lot of pressure, taking advantage of a relatively inexperienced New England uh, offensive line that was obviously missing um, missing the left tackle, uh, Nate Solder, and uh, also a game that was missing um, Dion Lewis as a, as a safety valve. Uh, James White did not have a particularly great game trying to fill into that, fill into that <laughs> role. In fact, uh, well, Garrett Blunt, after his great game against Indy, finished with minus three yards. We just completely abandoned the running backs the, in that the, game the, for good reason. The but, top rusher for New England was Tom Brady. Yeah, t- exactly. That, that tells you what you need to know. <laughs> I think what we got from the Jets was we saw how well they can play on defense, and we saw them uh, do quite quite well on offense. I thought Brandon Marshall would do better just from the sheer size of him matched up against our corners weren't the biggest yeah. in the world. But um, it was it was a, it was actually a very good showing from the Jets, and they did run us quite close. And yeah, they had the oper- they had an opportunity at the end of the game, albeit a very very slim one. Like the way Tom Brady played in that game was this is what Tom Brady can do. Like the ball was in his hands for pretty much the entire game. We ran the ball, I think, five times in the whole game, and it was just the uh, precision. And once we got into a rhythm, and once we, you know, 
figured out where those disruptive fronts were coming from, the, the top balls and the Jets were throwing throwing at the Patriots, things got a lot better. And I think we can like really see that it's very, very hard for even a team that has traditionally been good at the things that disrupt Brady to actually stop him this year. Now, that said, the Jets did also make stupid decisions, much with the onside kick. Also, on our final touchdown, they decided they just didn't want to cover Rob Gronkowski, which is a mm. very, very interesting well, decision. I believe, I believe but, the, uh, the, the, the back who'd been covering him for most of the game was out during that uh, play. Yeah, um, Calvin Pryor was, but they ran all-out blitz in yeah, their own that red was... zone, which was just... <laughs> anyway, what I would say from that is I, I was very positive to show that we can overcome a very tough opponent who are very motivated to beat us and have a lot of the things that we've traditionally struggled against. I would also say for the Jets, that's incredibly encouraging. And the more I look at the Jets this season, the more I think they are absolutely going to be a wild card team, and they are going to pose a, a real threat in the playoffs. Fitzpatrick is playing well enough to take advantage of his receivers. The defense looks fantastic. If they can keep that together, there's no reason that they can't get into the playoffs and then upset a team or two in there. Oh no, of course. And like to be honest, it was a scenario of uh, the New York Jets came out quite strong and were very dominant in the first half. Uh, like it was. Again, a game similar to the Colts one where I don't think the New England fully hit their stride until the second half. Although when they hit their stride, there was there was no real stopping them at that point. Uh, what did you make of this, though, like, uh, Dave? Like, I thought, obviously, Brandon Marshall played very well in parts, but also cost them dearly in others. Well, the section that Harry mentioned there, uh, it was Brandon Marshall who recovered the onside kick, but then proceeded to saunter his way back up to the line when they needed to spike the ball. Uh, and because he didn't get set in time, uh, there was a 10-second runoff, and that ended the game for them. I think they're going to be fine. I think that was just a stupid game thing, but like, I think they have enough of a cop about them. When they beat Bills, and they were like, they, they played a game, they executed a game plan incredibly well. Just yeah. to let the Perils just rack up penalties, will take all three yards, and just plug away. I think I think they played very, very well against what looks like a very strong thing. Maybe even like a historically strong thing. Yeah. Um, I think they played very well. And then, like, I think the game management is still probably iffy, but like, it's a new enough setup they have there. I think, again, that, that, that kind of cohesion, that kind of like crunch time stuff, I think maybe that takes a season or two to get like properly executing on that kind of No, exactly. I, I agree with you entirely on there. Like, I think they're looking very strong. They've gotten lucky in how good Chris Ivory's looked. Now, one of the concerns they're going to have is that he got an injury coming out of the back end of this. Bit of a tweak to the hamstring, so I'm not sure whether or not he's going to be okay. Uh, but it kind of shows the value he's bringing to the team when you think, I think it's Bilal Powell is the next one down the roster. I'm like, when, when he's on the field, I don't have anywhere near the faith that I do. Uh, like, I, I actually picked the Jets for the upset here last week in the picks. And while while they lost, I don't I don't feel better at all. I think they did exceptionally well here. And uh, honestly, if it wasn't for a couple of stupid mistakes, I think this could have gone either way, um, especially towards the back end. But Jets, well done, Jets. You did good. God damn you, England. You look amazing. Okay, so the next game we're going to look at is Oakland at San Diego. Uh, this is a very exciting game, well, in parts. Uh, finished 37-29 to the Oakland Raiders, who are looking stronger and stronger every single week. Chargers looked terrible for him in this game. A fun, a fun little number for us to bear in mind when we're discussing this game, and there's a worse one to come afterwards uh, for the next game. But uh, in this game, it was 37-6 to to the Raiders going into the fourth quarter. That is how badly the Chargers shot the bed in this one. Or, alternatively, how well Oakland have uh, started to resurge as a young team. I'm going to go to Dave first on this one. Dave, what were your takeaways from this game? Derek Carr looks very good. Um, he's the sixth highest QB rating in the league at the moment. Mm. You think it was the, he's the first Oakland QB in over a decade to be higher ranked than the 16th best QB. Who was it? It was, it was an auto. Was it Ryan Leaf or someone? I'm just thinking about Rich Gannon. It might have been Gannon, actually. 
Oakland look good, and they don't just—they look good on both sides of the ball as well, which is I'm surprised by. Um, but he seems to like Mary Cooper has looked good. That whole thing is working out well. They just seem to be like a very young, very fearless team. I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good be, term for it, actually. Yeah, they all seem to be kind of new to it and just seem to not really understand that they're not supposed to be good. <laughs> um, I think they needed a culture change in the Raiders, and they seem to have just gotten bumbled into one by yeah. just being like oh well these kids don't know the Raiders are historically awful yeah well this is the thing like they, they have they have looked incredibly powerful I thought Cooper looked amazing in this game like mm, yeah. really really good their run game looked solid very very solid. to be honest it's, it's obviously it's a big concern for me as my team plays in the AFC West but I'm looking at this team right now and I'm thinking this might be the sneaky second place in the AFC West not not good enough for a wild card but I could I could well see this Oakland Raiders team Instead of the kind of like, oh, sure, look, they'll do well, they'll win five or six games, and they'll build through the drafting. These, this team looks like it could take second place over the Chargers and the Chiefs in this division. At this stage, anyway, I'd be inclined to agree with that assessment. Now, they are fragile at times, as we've seen this season, and mm. um, particularly against tougher defences. But they there's a huge amount of potential going on there. And, you know, we talk about a culture change or whatever, and I think there, there's an aspect of that. But I think this is also bizarrely for Oakland over the last few years, which has drafted really, really well. Picked yeah. up some really nice veteran pieces. Uh, Woodson is uh, playing incredible for him. He's 37. Woodson's definitely trying to lock up his gold jacket. Absolutely. Like, well, he's looking he, great. He looks great. Um, in terms of San Diego, though, it's difficult to know what to what to really make of that. Because obviously they've got a lot of problems in the O-line. The run game isn't really working. Rivers is having a phenomenal season. I think you've got a... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Rivers is, uh, Rivers is having a historically good season. At the moment, he holds the record for the most completed passes through seven games, 215 completed. So that's just nearly like 31 passes a game that he's completing. Uh, and he's on pace for 5,600 yards. This this guy's on a historical pace on a team that is going nowhere at the moment. To an extent, you put it on the defense being very weak because if you've got an offense that's producing that much, you should be able to, to convert it. But I think what's, what's telling to a certain extent is the fact that You've got them on completions, you've got them on yardage, but you don't have them on touchdowns. You don't have them finishing out drives. You have them making mistakes and, and not being able to put points on the board towards the back end. And then this this defense is looking terrible. Like I've never I never thought I'd be this happy to see Flowers playing for an in division team, but uh he's just looked awful so far this season. He just looks lost out there at the moment. Yeah, they've really they've really they have really, really struggled on defense and and on in aspects of the offense as well. Um, but yeah, Rivers is, is keeping that team. Well, Rivers and Danny Woodhead and, and uh, Keenan Allen are keeping that team together. Yeah. Now, it's worth remembering this is a San Diego team again. Without Antonio Gates, we saw how much better they looked when Antonio Gates was in the lineup. Yeah. And this is also, uh, going back to the fragility of Oakland as well on this, this game was settled by a really bad OPI call in the end zone uh, on uh, San Diego's final penultimate drive. I can't remember which. Yeah. That essentially took a touchdown off the board and had settled for a field goal instead. This is a team that was down 30, 30 to 6, came came back. It does have that potential explosiveness on offense, and it, it, Rivers is playing incredibly well. And they were, in a way, unlucky to not make this game even closer. The problem is, is that they're getting themselves into a position, and they did it in week one as well against <coughs> Detroit, against a team that, you know, doesn't have actually that good of a defense, struggled for so long against them before just letting Rivers go wild yeah. and coming back into it. And that's a problem, I think, with the coaching. To an extent, because it's like you're, you're you're focusing for so long on parts of your game game that are ineffectual, and then in the end, when you go into desperation mode, you're winning. As in the case of the Lions, or in this case, coming very very close in a game that you have absolutely no business being close in. In San Diego, this could have been garbage time. They made this a live game at the end. There are weaknesses on the Oakland defense that 
might actually be structural calls they've made rather than necessarily weaknesses in their personnel. Like I'm not entirely sold on this movement of Mac to 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 DN from outside linebacker. I think he was much more effective rushing and disrupting from the outside position than he has been this whole year. I think I don't know whether that's a call that they made because they were lacking on the line they needed his pressure coming up there and whether maybe removing him from that position weakens them significantly more than uh, positive he would bring in the other position. I think this is, and it's something we said about San Diego a couple of times on this on this show, they've got a couple of injuries and they've got a very good 22. They don't have that much underneath it. And the drop-off is so significant in those parts that I think if this team was at full health, it could be a contender. Okay, so we're going to have a quick look at the uh, the neutral zone, uh, as we like to call it, for games that were neither good nor bad. Now, I disagree with the classification of this game as a neutral zone. This is Houston at Miami, a 26-44 routing of Houston. This, this is one of the main reasons I have an issue with this as a neutral zone game. Now, I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. Miami were 35 to nil up before Houston had their first yard of offense. How is this not a terrible game, Harry? Well, I think the justification for this is that it would be unfair to call this a bad game, given how well Miami played. But it would be also unfair to call it a good game, given that Houston were, <laughs> not to say dumpster fire, but a dumpster full of human excrement, covered in napalm, sitting on your front porch. <laughs> I thought they were a like, flaming factory that produced dumpsters. That no, that, that's Cleveland. Oh, Cleveland. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could have drops, we could have that you are a factory of sadness. Miami looked fantastic. Uh, yes, against a weak opponent, but like there's, they showed absolute ruthlessness. They were like, right, you're weak. We're better than you. We are going to stomp the ever-loving shit out of you. And I think that's great to see from a team because that shows that they are really... I don't know what Dan Campbell's done there, but the, the attitude change between them just, like, giving up on games, giving up on plays, going off and doing their own thing that's all under Philbin is gone. And this shows, like, the willingness of those players to play. <laughs> now, maybe it's a confidence thing. Maybe, you know, once they started winning, they just couldn't... They, they just got into it. Yeah. Great things. It doesn't matter how bad you are. If Lamar Miller is getting close to 300 yards of scrimmage, like... In the first half, like, he had 250-something yeah. combined yards. Exactly. Like, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think he touched the ball in the second half. Yeah. It's, um, they, just, they just chilled. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's indicative of how bad Houston are, but I think it also shows that Miami are starting to figure things out a bit and starting to figure out how to really put away teams that they should be beating, which has been, you know, pretty consistently <laughs> a problem for them uh, early on this season. Well, of course, and I think, I think that, I think that movement to like using Miller as a as a power runner is something that, as a as a specific target of the new management, that they said, look, this guy has been good beforehand. We need to rely on him a bit more, take a bit of pressure off our quarterback and stuff like that, and it's worked exceptionally well for them. Uh, interestingly enough, their quarterback is now holding the uh, the NFL record for the most consecutive completed passes. He completed 25 completed passes in a row against his team, which shows a consistency which the first four or five weeks of the season would not have suggested will be coming out of them this year. Uh, it's clearly a sea change in the offense for them. And their defense has stepped up their game incredibly. Like we, we, we discussed when we talked about the personnel changes at management and coordinator level, that there's only so much you can do schematically changing mid-season. But it seems to be just a massive turnaround entirely. Is this, is this an issue of, the scheme was a bad fit beforehand and they've changed it? Or was it just a purely an, an issue of management that now people want to play for this team, now they're trying harder? Well, I heard an interesting thing, which was when Campbell took over, the first practice he took, they decided they were going to do was it Oklahoma drill, I think it's called. Oh, yes, yeah, the, the, the full contact yeah. pads, brutal uh, yeah, yeah. tunnel game. Yeah, yeah, so the first practice in, he 
he got everyone to do that and made it a competition. And apparently people just flew into it and just took each other's heads off. And you only had dunes of four or five. Yeah, so he used up one of those just to try and get. And apparently there was kind of like a, apparently a lot of kind of bottled up stuff was, was channeled through that. <laughs> and you stick Joe Philbin's faces onto their uh, face yeah. masks. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think he just kind of brought back kind of a feel good factor, a kind of a fun factor. I think people seem to just be kind of be giving him that extra couple of percent that matters so much, like gets him getting those extra yeah. yards. Get, and it, there seems to be an aggression there in Miami that maybe he seems to be able to tap into. He seems to be just kind of a good motivator guy, and he seems to have been able to get, like, they did put them, to, they torched them, like they put them oh, to the sword. Yeah. And it was really impressively aggressive in a way that Miami didn't play it this, this season. So maybe. Maybe it's just the way the practices are going. Like I, I don't think the schemes changed that much. They have kind of got more run heavy. They were doing a lot of bombs, like bombs with Hill earlier in the season. Seems to cut that out. Yeah, they seem to kind of stop, stop trying to put it all on his shoulders, which I think is probably a positive. But yeah, to be honest, in this game, we we, we discussed the, the the Foster injury and the Ryan Mallet stuff earlier. Like I don't think there was anything positive to be taken out of this for Houston because this team is going to be losing by forty points pretty much every single week. Today being crowned, got a sack. That was nice for him. It was, it was. It's yeah, nice to see him do pick. something. Okay, so we're going to move on now to our dumpster fireside chats. Two god-awful games here to have a quick chat about. Uh, I think we'll keep these relatively brief because they were not the most entertaining games to watch whatsoever. Atlanta at Tennessee, 10 points to 7. This was so painful to try and watch. Like It was so, so slow, so boring, and just a war of attrition between two quarterbacks who couldn't get anything going. I suppose, uh, what, what were your takeaways from this, Harry? Yeah. Uh, my takeaways from it was that Tennessee are awful, like really, really, really awful. Um, I feel bad for Delaney Walker because I think he's the only person on that team who knows how to football. But like, oh no, it just just completely inept. And the thing is, it's like low scoring game. It wasn't even that their defense played particularly well. Yeah, because on the other side of the ball. Matt Ryan couldn't get anything going. Yeah, Devonta Freeman, decent enough game. He looked decent, yeah. But, and Julio Jones obviously had a good game because he's Julio Jones. Even then, it was just... Like, it's it's hard to put your finger on it. You know, what exactly it was. It just looked... Ryan just looked uncomfortable out there. And particularly towards the end of the game where he threw a... Like, he threw, the ball was tipped, but it was it was a bad throw, mm-hmm. you know, in, into traffic in the end zone. Yeah. That ended up getting getting picked off and ended up on uh, me losing my spread bet. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's quite worrying for Atlanta because they've looked quite bad now a couple of weeks in a row. They've looked not great for the whole whole season so far. It's, well, they looked good when they were playing NFC East teams. Um, yeah. But it was a case of like, oh, Atlanta, you know, they're gonna they might be able. To, we, we thought initially they were gonna overhaul Carolina. Then it was like, okay, they'll definitely make a wild card spot. Now it's like. Even with their weak schedule, if this is how they're going to keep playing, bad teams are going to be able to beat them. Yeah, but like, like my take on this would be that we always see this every single season of Matt Ryan has the potential to be an excellent quarterback, but also awesome. constantly has the potential to just be a god-awful quarterback. And one or two games a year, he'll always show up and play poorly. Like, this is the kind of game that they could easily have lost. And in seasons past, they would have lost. There was an extent to which the reason that they didn't, that they didn't lose this was because both quarterbacks tried to fail and Mettenberger managed to fail harder. Like that, that pick you said in the end zone allowed, <laughs> allowed Tennessee to drive up the field and try and get themselves into field goal range to even just tie the game up, which looked like it was going to happen until Mettenberger then just it gets intercepted as well to end the game. Like it was a terrible performance from both sides. I'm still happy with the call from before that the Falcons are going to make the playoffs as a wild card because even, even with them playing poorly, they can best some of the bad teams. And there's not a huge amount of competition. The reason I would be sceptical about that is because not only did Tennessee have in this game no quarterback, Tennessee also this season have no run game and a bad defense. And it is a problem 
when you look this bad against them because a team that it has even one of those things is going to be able to beat you. Isn't it Baby Shanahan? It's the OC. Yeah, because just what I was thinking was that well, I was just looking at how I was looking at Freeman. I was wondering why his numbers were so ridiculous. And I think they're doing a lot of play action stuff similar to what Cleveland were doing last yeah. year. So you're getting him out and getting him used quite effectively. Yeah. What happened with Cleveland last year was we had a good 10-game stretch of people. Oh, this is an odd offense. This is a bit like a lot of mm-hmm. and things. But then quickly they worked out what was happening. And I think the Atlanta game this week showed, I think maybe people are cottoning on to what he's up to, what calls, what calls play actions are look like, what the calls look like. And maybe, I don't think they have quarterback that can beat you if you shut down his, his weapons. I don't know. If, I, I'll, be, I'll be interested to see if, if their play action stuff starts to break down increasingly, which it looks like it is when yeah. they continue to win games. Fair enough. Like I, I, I think from from my view, this was a god awful game. But I think having watched a few of the other Atlanta games, they're not great, but generally their offense is good enough and quite, quite, quite exciting. I think this to me stank of a game of where you're playing down to your opposition rather than playing your own game. Okay, so we're gonna have a look at the London game. Uh, the Buffalo Bills take on the Jacksonville Jaguars at home. The London Jaguars, as no one calls them. Uh, in a 31-34 uh, barn burner on paper. Uh, <laughs> very exciting game on paper. The Jaguars went up 27-3. to uh, They scored 21 unanswered points. Everyone was getting happy. And then they decided that they didn't want to play football anymore and lost their lead and then allowed... Well, it was 28 unanswered points. Obviously a game of, of two halves from both teams. I think Harry watched a lot more of this than I did. Uh, did you watch much of this yourself, Dave? Watched a bit of it. I was in work, so I only got to catch a bit of it. The officiating was uh, was fun. <laughs> I think that kind of... Uh, <laughs> I think if they're going to say that this is an advertisement for the sport, in a country that doesn't necessarily do it, they probably should send over good officials. That might be or, an idea. Or good teams. Or good teams, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the good teams don't want to go. There also was that slight element of they pick the teams that go quite far in advance, and sometimes they look like good matchups on paper, and then they turn into god off. And what planet was Buffalo versus Jacksonville going to do? <laughs> yeah, well, look, to be honest, there was a strong chance of it being similar to to like the Minnesota Steelers game. We went to find out both teams could be terrible and therefore quite close and competitive. But if you're going to do that, just send over some college teams for the love of Christ. Like, what about yourself, Harry? What did you make of the game? I remember I got I got a couple of very interesting text messages from you about this. Who wants to win this game? Because no one wants to. Nobody. Well, I'll tell you who didn't, who wanted to lose that game the most. EJ Man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, you feel bad for EJ Manuel, like, in a way, because he's just not an NFL quarterback. He's not. He tries his best. His best is... Not good. The reason Buffalo were so far behind was they had uh, three turnovers, two of them returned for touchdowns in... Three minutes? Or yeah, well, in two, not even three two, minutes. One, two of them were back-to-back plays. Yeah. Oh, and then the other God. one was about, like, on the next drive. It was terrible. Manuel, it, and it's noticeable, even you, you watch him, and you, he stares down receivers. And it's not even that he stares down receivers long enough for a pass rush to get to him. He stares down receivers long enough for them to get double-covered. For a linebacker to jump the route and then throws it to them anyway. Like, it is bizarre. And at the end of the game, like, oh, Buffalo must be feeling pretty bad about getting rid of Matt Castle. And then we saw Dallas play, and it was like, oh, well, maybe not. But, um, TJ Yeldon had an RIK. Yeah, no, TJ Yeldon had a great game. Alan Robinson, Alan Hearns had great games. Jacksonville's offense looks surprisingly good. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. They don't, not consistently good. Sometimes they flash. Buffalo's defense was very disappointing. There was a return to the discipline problems they've had this Mm. season, but also just looked tired because they couldn't get off, they couldn't get off the field for for Mm. most of the first half of the game. And then Jacksonville just turned into Jacksonville and you, you could sense that Blake Bortles pick six coming. It was in the offing and then it happened. The game changed and then Buffalo just decided they didn't want to win anymore. So just look at this. It was just, 
like Buffalo can't get Tyrod Taylor back quick enough. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are, are we all in agreement on the idea that uh, that if Tyrod Taylor's in this game, that Buffalo are going to win? This yeah, you, you don't you don't have those you don't have that fumble return for touchdown, and you don't have that pick six. Yeah, definitely. It's worrying for Buffalo, obviously, because <laughs> they've been all over the place this season. They've looked excellent in some games, looked very poor in other games. And for Jacksonville, you know, it's encouraging to see the offense on one level, but then once the Buffalo defense started clicking a bit, they immediately sputtered. Yeah, and struggle quite badly, and their defense doesn't look good. Like giving up, given that they're meant to be a defensive team and a defensive-minded coach, that's so worrying. Exactly, and still giving up thirty-one points to a Buffalo team that's missing its best receivers and its quarterback by AJ Manuel is still not great. Although it's been said now, Shad Khan came out and said uh, that the the coaching staff in Jacksonville are safer. I was thinking coming into the season, this is year three or four. Is it of like it's it's normally around now you, you start to kind of want to see something coming out of the program or else you start to get worried. To say that he's definitely got another two years is quite a quite a good endorsement from him. I, I do I do think it's nice to see an owner who's got the kind of long-sightedness to say sometimes you need a bit more time to fix something that was the Jacksonville Jaguars exactly. four years ago. That's exactly it. It's coming from such a low point. Like, even mm. this is, is good for them. One of the things I'm going to add, because like, the officiating was terrible and the game was terrible, uh, the medical staff, why the hell was Sean McCoy left back on the pitch? Oh, I heard of it. He, he, I think he, he, um, he told them that he had to go and say something to someone else, and was going to come back to them, and then said to the said to the coach or whoever it was that uh, that uh, oh yeah, I'm okay. Because no, because because someone someone last week did the exact same thing. Because really um, uh, yeah, there's a basically there's a, there's a problem there because obviously players well, count as well actually as well. Same thing happened once. Well, something similar happened. Yeah, okay, but no, it is it is it is a scenario, and it's it's a worrying thing because people faking baseline tests for concussion protocol so they don't get taken out of game. Because they know that if they get a concussion, if they're injured, if they're not playing, it's affecting their value as a player. And especially for now, less so McCoy because he's been picked up by them, but also he's not gotten, he's not done phenomenally so far to guarantee himself longevity there. But like for 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 people like McCann and people who are who are not necessarily got long contracts, might be year to year trying to find new work, like them wanting to avoid concussion diagnoses and things like that is a is a potential big problem. But yeah, so overall, we reckon poor game. Jacksonville luckily won this. Uh, Buffalo would have won if if Tyrod is back. So please come back, Tyrod. Rex Ryan is like every good American. He doesn't know how to drive a manual. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. Slow burning. <laughs> so we're gonna have a quick look at some of the questions from our listeners. We've got three this week. Um, so we've got one from uh, from Emmett Ryan. So Emmett asks, are Pittsburgh the most inconsistent team in the NFL between looking awesome uh, or awful? And will Ben coming back fix these issues? So are Pittsburgh the most inconsistent team in the league at the moment? Harry, you seem to have some strong opinions I on this question. to justify why this is a bad, dumb question. Sorry, Emmett. In three words... St. Louis Rams. Like, they are just clearly the most inconsistent team in the league. Yeah, that's that's the end of the first part of that question. I would I would throw into that mix the New York Giants, uh, not just on this season, but also on the entire history of them. They are constantly terrible, then very good, then very terrible, then very, very good. They've won Super Bowls in years where they were starting at, like, two and five. Uh, and then they've, they've, they've had seasons where they go... 13 and 3 and then they go out in the first round uh, and then this 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 year again like we, we, we had it when we were discussing the picks this week and the picks every single week so far the continuous question of which New York Giants team is showing up this week so on to, on to the second part of the question I suppose uh, would there be uh, will Ben coming back fix those issues I think on this 
a reason that we saw inconsistency even when Ben was in there was because you had the slow, staggered release of players who were suspended for a certain amount of time coming back in different weeks. So you're going to see not only different levels of players on the field, but also different levels of game plan that they're able to run with the personnel that they have. So yes, I think Ben coming back will allow them to just run the offense they intended to run this year as Bell and Bryant and everyone are now available for them. But yeah, like, um, what do you think yourself, Harry? Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Like, I think, as, as I said, or the problem with Vic was that he doesn't fit the system in the way Roethlisberger did. The problem with uh, Andrew Jones is that, well, I actually think he fit the system reasonably well. He's not very good. So yeah, I think once you have Ben back, you're able to get your running game going again properly because it's now a downfield threat. You've got a guy who's got an incredibly good connection with Antonio Brown so he can start playing as well as he does. And you've got a guy with a, like, not just a big arm, but an accurate big arm who can pick out guys like Wheaton and Martavis Bryant. So basically, yeah. So one of the few QBs I've ever seen who could just have someone hit him and then he goes, is that all you got, bro? What do you think, Dave? Yeah, no, I agree with Harry. I think once Ben's back, the offense is sort of rolling. Their defense is not great, but that's I think that's where the inconsistency comes from. I think that like they want to run up the score. They want to get player yeah. ahead of you. If they can't do that, they can't replay their game plan very well. But I think when Ben's back, they can go back to being the free-shooting team that they always wanted to be yeah. this year. Like, I agree with you on most of that. The only thing I disagree on is I actually think their defense has been surprisingly decent so far this year. One, obviously, that's going to be relative to the fact that we thought they were going to be a real bottom-end defense. But as it stands, they're fifth against the run in the league. I think they're mid-table about 15th or 14th against the pass. Like, they're not they're not a terrible defense. Uh, although, that said, that's mostly on the strength of the last four, four weeks or so when they've really had to step it up with Ben being out and everything. But, yeah, so, Emmett, no, you're wrong. Please stop asking stupid questions. Uh, professional sports journalist, you should know better than this. <laughs> uh, Dan Ho, uh, he's a Raiders fan. Uh, so, yeah, fuck you, Dan. Um he asked, why has Andrew Luck regressed so much? Why is he looking so bad this year? I don't know, to be honest. Uh, is it just the look of the draw? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously there have been problems with the Colts, but they seem to have just been the problems that they've always had, just exacerbated by everyone doing everything worse. And it looked like Luck might have been turning a little bit of a corner against New England. He played reasonably well. And then he came out against New Orleans and played abominably. As in, like, if he was not Andrew Luck, he probably would have been benched for his display in the first half in that game. Yeah. So I, I, it's very difficult to point to one thing. His, he seems to be making worse decisions. His awareness seems worse. But it's, yeah, there's problems with the O-line, problems with the receivers. But there were those problems existed last year. We also well, I think had... he's on tilt this year. I think it's just he's trying to make everything happen. And he's just making poor decisions because he feels like he's the guy and everything's going wrong. And, like, he has to be everything. I personally think it's because he's distracted by his new reality TV show. He's doing a show similar to, to RuPaul's Drag Race. It follows him trying to get that established. I believe it's on AMC. It's called Look Be a Lady Tonight. You're on fire today, <laughs> man. <laughs> and uh, finally, we're going to go on to our last question, one that comes in from Sean Butler, uh, someone to definitely be featuring on our uh, candid takes from the Wembley Games next week. <laughs> Sean asks us, uh, given all the discussion that's been in recent years of uh, this becoming a passing league, we've seen historic levels of running this year, a lot more reliance on running backs and even in the passing game that is excelling, a lot of it is passing through running backs and using them as the weapon. Are we swinging back to a more running and running back heavy uh, approach to offense? Well, yes and no. I think that the, the game it has skewed towards quarterbacks. So, you know, quarterbacks being the most important thing. But I think we're going we're going back to ones more of a regression to the mean. Then going, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the full ground and pound. Yeah. Increasingly, with the way that the 
spread offenses are being run. Like a lot of we're doing a lot more shorter passes, especially to um, to running backs. I think and the way the college QBs I think are being trained now, they they, they flourish in kind of a shorter passing game, quicker passes. So I do think we're going to go towards a system where increasingly running backs are important. I don't I don't think we'll fully ever go back to a game where the running backs are, are relied on to the extent that they used to be. Yeah, that, to be honest, I'd, 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 I'd agree. I think what we've, what we've seen of late is that you can you can run quite an effective offense in the NFL with an okay running back or with a pair of okay running backs, but you'll see particularly successful offenses tend to have, if not a feature back, to have a running back who can do something very specific and becomes a key part of that offense. Even when you look at... New England, which is a which is a, a, a an offense built around Tom Brady, Gronkowski, the ability to throw accurately and understand the game very well. The impact that Dion Lewis has on that team so far this year, and when they then decide to play a different style of game, the impact that Legarrette Blount can have on a game, you can see the value of using a running back. I think it's a reaction, not so much to a move away from the pass game, but because the pass game has become so prevalent defenses are scheming more towards that and there's more available to the running game but i agree with you it's not going to be entirely run games if you do that you become predictable and it's exploitable again offensive coordinators and head coaches are coming back around to the seeing the value of using running backs as a weapon in specific parts of offenses and i think it's going to be a thing of it's more long runs and big one-off plays that are going to pump up statistics as well rather than being a constant, this is an eternal four-and-a-half-yard back who's just running our offense. I also think that there's, because uh, of the way that players have been drafted and the way players have been looking for players, I think defensive backs are getting bigger. The fact that they're bigger means that they're kind of slower. Yeah, I think that means they're better at marking the, kind of, the, the bigger kind of uh, wide receivers. But it also means that if you're running a trap play or you're running, there's a lot of, they, they can't get up to cover. If the safeties aren't there, if the safeties are misdirected, yeah. They can't get up to cover, and it gives a lot of kind of medium, mid, medium kind of run yards. So I think the way that defensive backs are being drafted, the way that it's giving more like, leverage to run backs. Like that's the thing; not everyone has an Earl Thomas who can have the speed to come in and tackle those guys. Yeah, I think I think you, you guys are both bang on here. There's an ebb and flow to how the game plays in the NFL. It takes place over several years. Innovations um, come in. Certain types of offenses become effective, and then over a couple of years, you see defenses react to that become better at stopping that and therefore become worse at something else just by dint of how the game works. It was also quite uh, important to this. Is a lot of, there's a lot of offenses are now, and this was flagged earlier by Dave, and it's quite, quite right, a lot of offenses are very heavily reliant on play action. For play action to be effective, you actually do need to be able to establish a meaningful running game. It's not, it's, it's, yeah, it's not going to go back to the old days of ground and pound, but I think all this thing we had a couple of years ago where this is just going to be a passing league in perpetuity has not, not been well-founded. There was no reaction to what is sort of natural, the natural evolutionary cycle of the game and how it changes. No, no, I, like, I, I entirely get you and I agree quite a lot. Um, but yeah, Sean, so basically, um, in response to your question, I think, yes, we're going to see a swing back. We're not going to see a swing back to the extent of us returning to what it was even even in the even in the early two thousands, the, the the dominance of run games in uh, in football. But I think we're going to see increasingly for at least the next two or three years more running back utilization. The thing that's going to be key to it, and it's it's the big quandary in running backs at the moment, is do you use a combination of a set of backs? Do you use one back who is who's going to be dependent? And I think that's system dependent. Obviously, how that ends up will probably decide how much offensive coordinators can rely on a back to provide the motor for an offense. Actually, um, in terms of what you say about switching up backs, so this is for the Bengals obviously having the benefit of having two backs who are both superb, yeah. but can do a lot of things differently. If you looked, for example, Minnesota's last game, middle league, it was against Detroit. When they broke up Adrian Peterson, carries a bit. 
gave a little bit of action to Asiata and McKinnon. It kept a defence that had very much zeroed in on that style of play on their toes a bit. So I think even when you have a very, very good lead back, I think we are seeing increasingly a case for having a couple of change of pace guys and how much, I think that was that game sort of exemplified how much they can benefit your lead back in playing. There's something I think would be quite interesting to see. Uh, I was going to say I'd make, I'd make a big brash sweeping statement. I'll say instead, it would be very interesting to see if as that develops, whether or not people start looking at introducing things like wishbone and double back formations into the stuff a little bit more when they start to get bite on two different types of back that they have to then keep people guessing about how exactly they're going to start playing that. Oakland have actually been running two back sets quite a bit this year. Yeah. Although I think I think a significant section of those are used as uh, one is one is a misdirect blocking back, and then they're doing play action. But I'd, I'd be interested to see whether or not people actually start considering things like wishbone for run design plays rather than misdirection plays. Okay, so we're now just going to move on to our final section. We'll look forward to the to the games for next week. Uh, we'll save the one that we're going to be going to uh, towards the back end of our large amount of consensus games this week. We only seem to have disagreements on two, which means we will be entirely wrong. And if you're a betting man, put all your money against every single call we've made. Apart from maybe the first one. So the first game we're looking at, uh, probably not that much of an upset, uh, or at least not that likely for one. Uh, Dolphins at the Pats. We've all taken New England in this game. Maybe this resurgent Dolphins team does something good, but uh, why is this going to be New England? I think New England will win because they're the better football team, but I think the Dolphins, if they really want to defend being the only undefeated team in the history of the NFL, might try and cause an upset. Yeah, I can see them fighting hard. Uh, a lot of people have said, like, oh, this will be a real tester game for the, for, the, for the Dolphins. I don't see this as being one they have to win to be back into like a proper team. This is not going to be as easy a game as New England thought when they looked the schedule two weeks ago. Our next game is going to be the Cardinals at the Browns. We've all taken the Cardinals in this game. Harry, why is that? Yeah, uh, look, we've seen some nice things from the Browns, but I think we saw again last week when they're up against a tough defence that can match up with their occasionally explosive, but ultimately not all that talented receiving core. They're going to struggle. Arizona are very, very good at taking away options in the passing game and have got an absolutely nasty run defence. Their offence is looking pretty decent, so I've just seen sort of overwhelming England up line of scrimmage and just taking away McCown's options. Yeah, McCown's oh, out with an injury. De- de- definitely taking away McCown's <laughs> options. Then, yeah. So we've got uh, the, the, the Bungles at the Steelers. Uh, it's funny we've called them Bungles because we've all taken Cincinnati in this game. Uh, to be honest, the rationality here is just Cincinnati look exceptionally good. Their roster has always been great. They're playing on absolute kind of record-breaking form for them as a team. Uh, they've got every option available in the Steelers, while having Big Ben likely coming back in this game and having their offense going. We reckon it will take them a little bit of time to get that thing rolling, and Cincinnati's offense will be able to pick to get, take apart what, while a decent defense, not a top-end defense. Our next game we're going to look at is... The Buccaneers at the Falcons. We've all taken Atlanta in this one, even though we slated the living shite out of them earlier. Uh, why is that, Dave? Well, Greg, they're not great, but I think they've got enough to see up the Bucs. I, I just don't like taking the Bucs. By betting against the Bucs, you're, you're, you're saving it. Yeah, they've looked awful. I'm actually, I'm actually very, very close on this one, to be honest. You know, I've, I've taken Atlanta pretty much for the exact reason. I'm just never going to be comfortable picking this Tampa Bay team. But I, this could be a very close game. I have a funny feeling this is going to be like a Julio Jones three touchdowns and 200 yards game. Chargers at the Ravens, uh, San Diego heading down, and we all reckon San Diego are going to get the job done. I'm not going to lie, this is one that I was very close on. Harry, why was I right to pick the San Diego Superchargers? No, again, it's it's a very close one. The thing is, is that as much as we say, you know, Philip Rivers is in great form, and as much as we can say, oh, you know, he can't throw it all by himself all the time, 
against this Ravens secondary, he probably can. Yeah. Like, they didn't look particularly good at any point in the season. They got, again, very badly exposed against Arizona. Um, San Diego just have too many options in the passing game to lose against a team that doesn't have a secondary. Yeah, and yeah, I suppose they've only got one receiver, really. Now they've got Steve Smith back, and I'm pretty sure he just cut the ribs out of himself so he could get back onto the field and play some more. Uh, Vikings at the Bears, we've all taken Minnesota here. Uh, I'm going to say it really simply. Even though they beat my Chiefs two weeks ago, Bears are god-awful. They're not going to be able to get it done against a team that has an exceptionally high-end running back, even though he hasn't been performing maybe as the draft position he got in a lot of fantasy leagues might have suggested. They figured out last week that if they pace him with a couple of the other backs coming in, they get a lot more out of him. And Teddy Bridgewater has actually looked pretty decent the last couple of weeks. He's made mistakes, but as long as the run game is there and solid, it opens up a lot more options for him than whenever it's not happening. Uh, We've got the San Francisco 49ers playing the Rams at home. Harry is always a big man for the Rams being a Jekyll and Hyde team. Why exactly are you backing them this week? They're at home, and it's the Niners, so they're probably going to be okay. Uh, even with the Rams being incredibly inconsistent, the one thing they've always done at home against the Niners is show up. Even when the Niners were very, very good, and the Rams were very, very bad a few years ago, the Rams still tied them at home. The Niners are a hot mess. Oh yeah. The Rams, particularly on their defense, have enough pieces to pretty much shut them down. How many people on the sideline are going to be injured by Aaron Balls thrown <laughs> by Colin Kaepernick? <laughs> What's the over-under? Two? Uh, three. We'll go three. No, two and a half. Two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so two concussions and one and broken arm. <laughs> baby, <laughs> Jesus baby Christ. Half a... two, two people, one of which is heavily pregnant. Reveal the eighth. So we've got Jets at the Raiders, a very tight game to call. We're going to go to Dave to explain why we're going for the Jets. Well, I think the Raiders' is youthful exuberance will up against a very canny Jets defense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. We've got uh, Seahawks with Cowboys. We've all taken Seahawks. The basic rationality being uh, Bat Castle. Make <laughs> it. Bring back Whedon. Yeah. Hawks defense back <laughs> on form. Uh, even if their offense hasn't got it all firing, like they'll be able to shut them down on offense. And it'll be probably not that high scoring a game. But. Uh, Packers... At the Broncos, two undefeated teams meeting up for the first time in the history of the NFL that this has happened this far into a season. Uh, I'm going to go to Dave on this one. Why are the Packers going to win? And I will no longer accept because it's been used five different times. Aaron Rodgers is a complete answer. I think that the Broncos defense is excellent and the Broncos offense is appalling. I think the Packers defense is decent and the Packers offense is brilliant. On the balance of those two things... He who must not be named, I think, will just about swing it for them. That's true. Also, I believe that they've got Devontae Adams coming back this uh, this week as well. I think that's the critical thing, is actually Green Bay having some healthy receivers. Yeah. And maybe if Eddie Lacy can stop being fat, that might also be nice. Oh, yeah. they, they just decided to not let him eat this week, so he's now back down to 265. Then the final consensus game, I'm going to throw this one over to Harry. Uh, we've got the Colts, the powerhouse Colts, as we like to say, participation trophy-owning Colts, uh, are going down to the Panthers to take them on. And we've all decided to go with Carolina. Is there anything that can defeat Black Superman? Mm, well, yes, but it's not It's not this Colts team. <laughs> and the Colts team have not got any kryptonite. Absolutely. And congratulations to the AFC South for no longer making the NFC East the worst team in football. The uh, worst division in football, rather. But no, look, um, Carolina's defense has been playing fantastically. Cam Newton, with no weapons around him, has been playing fantastically. If the Saints' defense can make shit of Andrew Luck, the Carolina defense are absolutely going to do it. So this like it just it's difficult to see how the Colts a contain Cam Newton and b get anything going themselves. Fair. And our last consensus game of the week, uh, saved it to the end because we're going to be going down to see it. 
Lions come to see the Chiefs, but not at Arrowhead, in Wembley Stadium, where you'll have a number of us, a number of contributors, and turning up to come and uh, come and view my team play another team that is also playing terribly this year. Uh, we have all taken the Kansas City Chiefs. For once, I'm not just being a homer. Basically, yes, Lions look terrible. Chiefs don't look good. Um, the Chiefs' defense is good. There's going to be a lot of changes happening, given that the offensive coordinator and line coach is now gone. Uh, Chiefs' offense hasn't looked great, but the Lions' defense has been underperforming of late. And uh, Charkandrick West looked to step up quite a bit last week. And I think this is going to be a tougher challenge for him. I think they're going to be better against the run, but I'm expecting quite a decent-sized game out of him. Uh, I'm just super excited to see the Chiefs, and I'm more, more excited to see that everyone else seems to agree that they're going to have a good game. So now we're going to move on to our uh, our contentious picks. Ooh, We've got the Giants at the Saints. It's uh, not that surprising this is a contentious pick, as we would all just take football loses. I've said New Orleans, Harry said New Orleans, but Dave has decided that the New York football giants are going to come out of the gate and get a win here. Why is that? I'm not super attached to this decision. (laughs) I don't think any of us are. (laughs) But New Orleans is still pretty dysfunctional and the Giants are only dysfunctional around 60% of the time. So I think think those have some attention. But the question is, how broad are the curves? Is their awful better or worse than the awful of the New Orleans Saints when they fluctuate in a waveform? That's some high-level math that I'm uh, not capable of computing <laughs> on. See, the thing is, I think Drew Brees is significantly better than Eli. Well, I don't know the rest of the team. Yeah. Like, Brandon Cooks is not as good as Odell Beck. Like, there's a, there's a lot of elements in play here. Like, my, my, my take on the Saints in this game is I think they looked significantly better this week just gone than they have up to this point. And I think they've realised that it's not exactly a scatter division they play in, and there's a chance that they could come back into it. I think they're playing with a little bit more purpose, and Breeze doesn't seem to have... The injury he had doesn't seem to be affecting him as much as it was earlier in the season and whatnot. I can see them just about edging this, especially at home, given that they want to try and get a bit of a resurgence happening. But I agree with you entirely. Like, it's essentially like a 52-48%er for me. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably fair. The Saints have actually been quite poor at home last few seasons. But, the re- yeah, the reason I'm, I'm giving it to New Orleans is, and it is a close one, it's like the Giants could very easily have lost that game against Dallas. Now, I know I picked Dallas and whatever, but I'm not sure I necessarily regret that because you look at a game where they barely beat a team that had four turnovers. New Orleans looked a bit better, yeah, admittedly against Indianapolis. But for the Giants, for example, like Odell Beckham struggled to get open against the Cowboys, not exactly stellar secondary. And yes, the Saints secondary is, is awful. And like the Giants' run game is also... God knows what's going on there. Warning's dark, dark walkers. Uh, I'm not even sure I got his name right. But yeah, no, the, the Giants have just seemed to be, I don't know what they're doing, whereas the Saints are, you know, plugging away the same thing that isn't particularly working. So while, yeah, when New Orleans hit absolute rock bottom, they're probably worse than the Giants. I don't think we're going to see New Orleans hit rock bottom. I think we've seen them bottom out this season. I don't think they're going to be as bad as we saw in some of the early that's, games. That's a good way of putting what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas with New York, you don't know what's going to turn up now. It's possible that they could turn up on fire and absolutely blow the Saints out. And they have much more capacity, I think, to do that than New Orleans do. But I just think that's less likely than them playing badly and New Orleans playing slightly less so. And the last game we're looking at this week is the Titans at the Texans. Now, okay, ballsy fucking move here, my friend. I've taken Tennessee. Day's taken Tennessee. Everyone on the planet has taken Tennessee. But you've decided that team that was 41 to kneel down at halftime and hadn't gotten a single yard of offense when the other team scored 35 points is going to come in and win this game. 
Please explain. Yes, Houston are bad. Houston are awful. Tennessee are also absolutely gap. Like, they started the season looking relatively okay, and then things have got worse and worse and worse. Zach Mettenberg is awful. Um, their run game doesn't, like, literally doesn't exist. As bad as, you know, uh, Alfred Bloom may be, and he's not bad, he's mediocre. Tennessee just don't have a run game. Their wide receivers aren't great. Houston have better weapons there. Hoyer, yes, he's been bad, but he's also, you know, he's shown some ability to at least move the ball down the field at times this season. You know, he's had a good, roughly, roughly, roughly 35 points into a yeah, game. Yeah, 35 points down into a game, no. But like, quite generally, like, yeah, I don't like Houston. There's nothing to like about Houston. But Tennessee, I, I see even less to like about Tennessee right now. And I think that Houston, for all their problems, still have, yeah, reasonably decent defensive front. They've got some talented receivers. Like, I just don't see enough on the Tennessee side to be like, yeah, they're definitely going to win this game. And yeah, it's a ballsy call, fair enough. It's, I wouldn't be surprised if Houston lose. But there's so much dysfunction going on in Tennessee right now. And there's just an incapacity to play the game through the air or on the ground that even a bad team like Houston can very much be able to take advantage of that. This is okay, it's going to be a battle of two teams that have no QB, really. You know, Brian Hoyer has ceased to be a QB, to my mind. He's even worse this year than he was mm-hmm. in Cleveland. And then no run game, because obviously Foster's out. Well, I think that... Is it Sankey that's still there? Or? Sankey got no card. I, I think Dexter McCluss... No. Well, Dexter McCluss is like their little flex I think, back. I think, I, think I think their fullback got the most carries last week. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, but I just think that, like... Tennessee have shown flashes of being able to do things like their return seems good. They might get a lot of return touchdowns. <laughs> like, just don't kick the ball ever, Houston. Exactly. You might win. Um, thing. I agree with you entirely. Like it's it's not a game where either team is good, but I think that like Texans are a dumpstier fire than the Titans are. It's just it's just that thing of th- this game is going to go one of two ways. It's either going to have a total of nine points scored in the game. Or it's going to have 147 points scored in this game. Because these are both terrible teams. We were having a chat about this beforehand. Both make their make their numbers look more respectable in garbage time. And this is a game that is entirely 60 minutes of garbage time. So do yourself a favour. Don't watch this game. And we'll try to not have to talk about it next week. So we might have to, unfortunately. <laughs> Like I, think, I put it this way, the like, race for the first overall pick. If, Mar- if Mariota is back, Tennessee win this game. But with Mettenberger under center, I just don't think they do. <laughs> we'll see. So anyway, anything else yourselves, guys? Uh, apart from obviously, we're looking forward to uh, to uh, heading over to London. Myself and Harry are. Uh, it'll be fun. We're also antsy about whether or not our completely official and legal jerseys from China land in time for the game. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it's been good. How about yourself, Dave? Yeah, I've I've been enjoying the NFL so far this year. I think it's settling down a bit, so I can see who who's gone. She's been shaping up. I want. To, I, I can't wait to see who ends up undefeated. If anyone, I'm, ho- I'm hoping one team anyway will, will go undefeated. I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to see towards the end of the season who's going to be there. To be honest, the one thing that's in my head is that like I hope that happens, and at the back after the season, the Giants go on a real run. What about you, Harry? How's life <laughs> as a New England Patriots fan? Um, uh, <laughs> no, look, things are good right now. Are we going to be undefeated this season? We could be. Are we going to be? Probably not, because that's you know that's the NFL. That's how you're, there's, there's a banana peel in there somewhere for everyone. Who would have thought before the season that the two MVP candidates, standout MVP candidates, would be Tom Brady 
and dun, 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 Andy Dalton. <laughs> uh, that's well, not even a lie. He actually is an MVP. I don't know. He's, he's in the chat. Well, that's the thing we're actually going to say to the guys now as well. Next week, we're going to be doing a bit of a mid-season review because it's week eight. We're going to have a look at where everything is versus how wrong we were at the start. Uh, have a look at some of the, the front runners for MVP, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, all that kind of stuff. And uh, kind of a, an overall uh, look at how the league looks halfway through through the year. So if you've got any questions or anything about that, please send them in. So yeah, so when we talk to you next, we'll be covering off that. We'll be having some hot takes from live in Wembley Stadium and possibly afterwards in the pub. And uh, yeah, we'll see actually. One thing we'll try and get for you is we'll see if we can find the biggest minor celebrity that we can get to give us a soundbite around uh, Wembley over the weekend. That'll be good fun. Like, there's almost no way that we can't get Vernon Kay, that massive pile of shit of a person. Well, not if he listens to this episode of the podcast first. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Vernon, if you're listening, please stop. You're not invited anymore. All right, guys, thanks very much for listening. Uh, like I said, we'll chat to you all next week, coming fresh off seeing a live NFL game and seeing my motherfucking cheese. Chat to you then. <laughs> <laughs>